All right, Dave, here we are. Here we go. Big one today. A big one indeed. Three shows, one episode. Oh, man. Yeah, buckle up. So today we are talking about March 9th, March 10th, and March 11th, 1993, at the Rosemont Horizon in Rosemont, Illinois. It's the Grateful Dead with Vince Welnick and and the whole 90s gang. We are talking about, as you'll see in the show notes, a compilation from these three nights made by at Dead Sound app on Twitter. Um, if you haven't played around with the Dead Sound app, uh, it's in beta testing right now. You can go to deadsound.app and you can learn how to be one of the beta testers. It's a great app with all of your Grateful Dead music listening needs, a dedicated app that's just for Grateful Dead music, which is pretty cool. And my word, like the amount of work that has been put in to this is really amazing. And so shout out to the Dead Sound crew. I think it's just two guys. And Man. one of them, yeah, one of them put together this uh, compilation of, he, he titled it, um, must have been the Rosemont, um, that is uh, basically highlights from three nights in Rosemont, Illinois in 1993. He structured it in a way so that the playlist, as he has com- compiled it, which is 23 songs, it comes in at just over three hours, is structured similarly to what a dead show would be like. So everything is kind of in its place which is really cool. And it's a cool way to get into the highlights of a three night run in 1993 without having to listen to every single song from the three nights. But I know that you listen to entire show. Every single song from the three nights. Right. Okay. There you go. <laughs> so, um, that, so you, you did that anyway. I listened to all of three, nine, most of three ten, and then this mix, I guess maybe, well, let's get into the days between, and then let's talk about, talk about the things that we will. Let's do it. Let's go to the days between. There were days. There were days. There were days What's been going on? Actually, can I do can I do my days between first? I've got kind of a lot. Of course. Go ahead. Thank you. So uh first and foremost, in the days between the last recording and this episode coming out. I will have been to see Mo in here in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm seeing them. Ooh, love Mo. Me too. As you and I are talking, I'm seeing them next Tuesday. But by the time this comes out, I will have seen them. I have, if you are a NugsNet subscriber, everything from this tour is currently up. These guys are playing so well. Their guitarist is back, and I think they're feeding off that that energy. It's so awesome that, and I I mean that in the real like definition. It fills me with awe that in the last five years, you know, this band, for those of you who don't know about Mo, they have been around for a long time, making great music, doing great stuff in the jam scene. They've had some real innovations that I think have kind of taken over in the jam community. They invented Modown. And now it seems like every jam band has like a three day, their band festival (laughs) that exists. Um, And then they spun it out into Snowdown as like a ski festival that they would do in the winters. They're just great, and they've got a lot of great music. In the last five or so years, they have three lead singers, or you know, three singers who do lead singing duties: Rob, Chuck, and Al. Chuck had a stroke in um, 2021 and is recovering from that. 
but he's back out there on the road shredding and singing supporting vocals and you hear him talking he's you know he's having a little bit of a hard time as people do when they recover from a stroke but he's happy and healthy and he's getting through it and he's singing support vocals which always fills me with joy you know to to hear him able to like do that on stage is amazing but then one of their other lead singers i'd say arguably their main lead singer rob uh he also had uh throat cancer um, a couple years back and he's just gotten over that and he survived it. Um, it was a stage four diagnosis. So that certainly was not a guarantee that he would survive, but he did. He kicked cancer's ass and now he's back out there singing his heart out and slapping the bass like a mofo. I mean, these guys sound great right now. And so I'm just so happy that they're back on the road doing what they love, bringing a lot of joy to the masses. So that's not a dead update, but I'm sure that some of our listeners are are morons as well as they are deadheads. And so if you are, um, then I hope that you've enjoyed this tour. If you've gotten to be a part of it, or just if not, I hope that you're enjoying the knowledge that these guys are back out there on the road doing what they love. It's, it's really great. So that's one of my things from the days between, but there've also been a lot of dead things that have happened to me lately. One of them is that the Dark Star Orchestra announced a spring tour and they're going to be stopping in Raleigh, which I'm very excited about because I've been really wanting to see them for a long time. They have so many talented musicians um, in their band. I love what they do with Setlist. They create complete Grateful Dead shows or recreate um, Grateful Dead shows, which I think is really cool. And I've I've really been like hoping that either them and or J-Rad would come down this way. And it seems like J-Rad is pretty kind of in that Northeast corridor these days, doing most of their shows there. Maybe I think that they had one or two in Chicago somewhat recently, which is pretty rad, but they haven't come down here yet. So it's cool that Dark Star Orchestra is going to be here and that in May I'll have a, a DSO Shore show um, to go to. I'm really, really looking forward to that. So I'm really happy that DSO is going on tour. Bobby's tour is finishing up. John Mayer is on a solo tour, which I haven't heard any reviews of because it's only a couple days in, but I'm sure that that's pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, the, the Mo show too. So lots of cool stuff happening for me in the dead and dead adjacent world. What about for you? Not a show I'm going to because I can't afford it. But I think the big news in the days between is that Dead & Company announced they are doing a fundraiser show on may 8th 2023 at barton hall in cornell um yeah can't afford those tickets but if you can yeah i have a connection in the tompkins county um county seats tompkins county is the county that uh cornell and ithaca colleges are in and last year there was an attempt to get them into tompkins county not necessarily to Cornell University proper, but to get them into the area for a 45th uh, anniversary that they coordinated with the event company. Obviously that didn't happen. And then um, this year, no one at Tompkins County uh, was trying to do it. And then the Cornell 2030 project set it up and um, they're running with it at Barton Hall. So if you have the means and the opportunity to go, go, because that's going to be totally cool yeah. but that's some huge dead news that i think we should cover on my end um miley just came out with a new album yesterday miley cyrus so i was crushing that and uh a bit of a change in sound from 93 dead but she still got it well although miley is not 93 dead we're gonna have plenty of that today so let's get into it let's let's get on to the show Show. 
let's go. All right. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, a midweek run for the dead on March 9th. Yeah, March 9th through 11th, 1993. Again, they were playing at the Rosemont Horizon, which is now known as Allstate Arena. Yes. Um, in Rosemont, Illinois, which is basically a suburb of Chicago. So what's going on in the world in 1993, and especially in March 93? The top album in the land is the soundtrack to The Bodyguard massive album it was the 13th consecutive week that it was number one on the charts uh it was the best-selling album of the year um the next week it would be unseated temporarily by eric clapton unplugged um which by the way maybe a hot take that album sucks i (laughs) will go on the record i have had people for my entire life trying to tell me that the acoustic unplugged version of layla is better than the original Kick rocks. No, it's not better. It's interesting. Okay, yeah. Maybe it's interesting. I'm not even going to go that far. I just don't think it's good. Like the the original Layla is so rocking and great. And the unplugged one is like, oh my God, put me out to pasture. It's so slow. Apologies. Um, but quick side tangent on that. My my favorite song on that unplugged album is the acoustic san francisco bay blues i think i'm checking the album now to make sure yeah that's right i'll stand by that but yeah layla's not better it's better electric the my favorite song on that is um the one about his son dying if i saw you in heaven i don't remember what the name of that song is i think it's tears in heaven right yeah tears in heaven that is a very good emotional performance i'm here for that one but I think the stink of the Layla performance really just brings that whole album down for me. My dad had that record when I was a kid and <laughs> I was, I liked Eric Clapton. I had like an Eric Clapton greatest hits or something. And I was like, Layla rules. And then I heard it on that one. It was like, ugh, why? Anyway, I digress. The Bodyguard album was the top selling album of 1993. In January of 93, it became the first album ever to sell over 1 million copies in one week. So like a true blockbuster album. Uh, the top Billboard song this week in 1993 was A Whole New World from the Aladdin soundtrack. So movie soundtracks hitting it big. Um, and I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Number two was I Will Always Love You from the Bodyguard soundtrack. Number five was Nothing But a G-Thang. Great early hip-hop song by Dr. Dre featuring Snoop Dogg. And it's kind of interesting. This is the latest show we've ever done. And it's cool mm-hmm. to hear like, you know, The Dead. We're talking about a show that was happening simultaneously to that song. It's kind of cool when one of the earlier so- uh, shows that we were talking about was like simultaneous with Sergeant Pepper's coming out. <laughs> Just, you know, <laughs> these guys really spanned the the whole 20th century when it comes to really popular music. Yeah. Bands that were founded in 1993. This is something that I try to talk about whenever we touch on a new year. Um, and another one where it's like, God, these bands were all technically contemporaries of the Grateful Dead. If you think about it, Daft Punk was formed in 1993. Whoa. Yeah. Modest Mouse, Spoon, Third Eye Blind, Wilco, and one of my favorite hip hop groups, Jurassic Five. Never really got the shine that they deserved, I don't think. The reason why I'm going to come back to movie soundtracks, I don't know if you know this, 1993 is like an absurdly good year for movies. Hmm, okay. So because we're both movie fans and many of you are too, I'm just going to really quickly run through like, you know, 15 of the movies that came out that year. 
Jurassic Park, The Fugitive, The Firm, Sleepless in Seattle, Aladdin, Mrs. Doubtfire, A Few Good Men, Schindler's List, Homeward Bound, great kids movie, mm. The Sandlot, unbelievable kids movie, Cool Runnings, Dave, Dazed and Confused, Groundhog Day, Hocus Pocus, Menace to Society, Nightmare Before Christmas, Philadelphia, The Piano, Rudy, Tombstone, True Romance, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, and a Mel Brooks classic, not sure how well it's aged, but Robin Hood Men in Tights. Just a great wow. year for movies. And yeah. across genres, across like different movie types, Jurassic Park probably, I would argue, the most important movie that came out that year because it was the first movie that really used CGI and you know just made a bazillion dollars and has spawned a ton of um, sequels and threequels and whatever. But also like The Fugitive is a great movie that's held up really well. The Firm. I'd say probably the best of the John Grisham adaptations for the screen. Um, and then all sorts of other stuff. Great rom-com, Sleepless in Seattle, great Disney movie in Aladdin, all sorts of stuff. So good year, 1993 um, in pop culture. Birthdays. This is the first time we've covered the same date or dates a second time in the running of our show. So 39 and 310, 1981, we talked about in the fall for the MSG mm. release. Right. So I did the birthdays for 311. I would think maybe the birth of the band 311, but apparently not. They've turned it into their own little 311 holiday, though, so it might as well be. Um, so whose birthdays are on March 11th? You have American violinist Leroy Jenkins, um, Pirates pitcher Doc Ellis, who famously pitched a no-hitter while high on acid, so very Grateful Dead hey, relevant. Look at that, yeah. I saw someone in Cincinnati at a dead show last year with a Doc Ellis jersey on, which I thought was just a <laughs> perfect thing to wear to a, a dead and co show. Um, Jerry Zucker, Lisa Loeb, Greg Olson, NFL soon to be Hall of Famer. And on this very day in history, March 11th, 1993, actor Judy Comer, who plays um, Villanelle in Killing Eve, among other roles, and basketball player Anthony Davis. So they were born. Hmm. Maybe even as the show was going on, who knows? And March 11th, my mom. Ah, Shout out to mom. Happy belated birthday. Historically, events on March 11th, not, I mean, these are big moments in world history, but there's nothing that's like, um, you know, a particularly fun one. In 1941, FDR signed the Lend-Lease Act. So for you American history buffs, that was a really important moment in World War II. Um, basically when we said that we would lend and lease equipment and, and weapons and stuff to the allied forces in the war. And then in much more recent history, in 2020, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic on March 11th. So we all remember that <laughs> great time um, in American history. Uh, so that's kind of March 11th in a nutshell. What about 1993? Let's talk about the year for the Grateful Dead. So it's it's funny when you look at like the historical moments in music from 1993 there are not a ton that pop up. Um one of them actually is the Grateful Dead performing the national anthem for the San Francisco Giants on opening day um April 12th of that year. It was Vince, Whoa. Jerry and Bob. They sang uh the national anthem. It's a great rendition by them and really a, a memorable moment. And the rockets red glare, the bombs bursting in air, 
there are a couple others, but they're not really that worth getting into. Another one that kind of stood out to me was Prince became the artist formerly known as Prince when he you know changed nice. his name to that symbol. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, for the Dead, though, they played 81 shows in 1993. That was their most since 1988, and it's up from 55 shows in 1992. So they were really out there doing it. A lot of JGB shows that year as well. Um, a couple even that have been officially released. So the band was very active. I would imagine at that time, Bob was with Rat Dog um, as well. So I'm sure he was killing it on the road in between as well. Um, February 1993, the band hit the studio for rehearsals for what was going to be a forthcoming album, but they never finished it or released it. Uh, some of those tracks and parts of those tracks were released on the So Many Roads box set. My favorite is uh, them playing around with this song called Whiskey in a Jar. You can find it on YouTube. It sounds great. They had a spring tour, a summer tour, and a couple of fall tours, plus a couple of local like California, maybe plus Las Vegas runs uh, throughout the year. But really, the probably the biggest thing in Grateful Dead history in 1993 is that they were the biggest selling live act of the year. So I found this very interesting. This is a quote from a Washington Post article that I found from the archive. Quote, the year's most consistent moneymakers, however, were a bunch of old guys trading as the Grateful Dead. Just as they were two years ago, the Dead in 1993 were the top touring act in the United States and Canada with $45.6 million in sales, including a $1.7 million night, according to Polestar. With their most successful tour ever, they racked up 27 of the year's top 200 concert grosses. In 1992, the Dead came in second just to U2. They have been in Polestar's top five every year since 1987, despite seldom enjoying airplay or hit albums. Surprisingly, the Dead managed the title reclamation while keeping their prices a couple of dollars below the competitions. That's from the Washington Post on January 12th, 1994. Adjusted for inflation, that is $85 million that the Dead made in 1993. Wow. I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. The best-selling acts of each year for like the last decade are in the two and 300 millions. The level of greed that has gotten into live concerts is truly staggering. I'm not saying it's on the part of bands, but Ticketmaster and Live Nation run a legitimate monopoly on live concerts. I'm sorry to get on my soapbox here, but it's true. And if if you've been trying to buy concert tickets for big acts, including Dead & Co. over the last few years, you'll know some of the things I'm talking about when I say things like verified fan presale and verified resale. These are all ways that Ticketmaster is padding its pockets. Ticketmaster owns Live Nation or vice versa. So if you're going to sell your tickets on Ticketmaster, you're going to play at Live Nation venues. If you want to do something about this, follow at future underscore of underscore music. Go get involved. There are things that are being done right now to try to break up the monopoly that Ticketmaster has in this area. Um, the Biden administration has tried to take sweeping actions against quote unquote junk fees that get added on to us, the consumer in all of these areas, and they only exist to prop up these massive corporations and to keep their shareholders happy. So, I mean, again, sorry to go into such a heavy thing, but think about that. The dead were the number one selling act 30 years ago, and they made $85 million just this year, 2023 alone, we're in March Coldplay's already made $230 million. I'm sure Taylor Swift will. She'll make that 400 million. Yeah. Yeah. The best selling Ed Sheeran tour from a couple of years ago made $472 million. Like more power to these artists. Get after it. Your time window is probably pretty limited. 
make whatever money you can put yourself and your family in a position to be safe and taken care of for a long time. But why do we need to spend all this money to keep Ticketmaster's owners and shareholders happy? It's absurd how expensive all of this stuff has gotten. And um, yeah, so stepping off my soapbox, but I just, I saw that and was like, this is staggering. And that note at the end, surprisingly, the dead managed to reclaim the title while keeping their prices a couple dollars below the competitions. It's like, yeah, goes to show. I mean, they were looking out for the heads then as they are now. Anyway, last couple things for 1993 in the dead's history. They added a bunch of new songs to the repertoire, Broken Arrow, Easy Answers, Liberty, Days Between, and Lazy River Road. So had an influx of new songs. Bob Hunter writing songs with Jerry and with Bobby in in that era. What about this tour, the Spring 93 tour? These three nights at the Rosemont kicked off the tour. And then um, from here, they took a couple nights off, played one night at the Richfield Coliseum in Ohio, three nights in Landover, Maryland, three in Atlanta, Georgia, two at the Dean Dome, the Dean Smith Center at UNC in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I actually just listened to one of those shows the other day. Um, and sounded pretty good. Uh, the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, they played three shows, and then they concluded it with five nights at the Nassau Coliseum in New York on Long Island. Mm-hmm. Go Islanders. So a big tour for the dead. They played a bunch of shows and they would have equally long summer and fall tours, hence being the, the best selling act of the year. The venue, the Rosemont Horizon, as I said, it's now called the Allstate Arena. Your classic multi-purpose arena. It's typically used for AHL hockey and historically for college basketball. It's right near O'Hare Airport, which I guess would put it on the northwest outskirts of Chicago. It opened in 1980 as the Rosemont Horizon. It has a capacity of 17,500, but only about 10,000 for concerts. Um, the only current tenant is the Chicago Wolves AHL hockey team. So that's uh, minor league hockey the next level below um, the NHL. Uh, but the longest tenant was actually the DePaul men's basketball team from 1980 to 2017. And then they moved into a different arena. I believe one that's downtown. Tons and tons of concerts at this place. Um, in recent years, BTS, Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber, um, the Grateful Dead played here um, a bunch of times, uh, 13 times to be exact between 1988 and 94, plus one other show in the early 80s. Also, Metallica, ACDC, Andrea Bocelli, who's uh, going to be back there later this year, Green Day, Fish, Nine Inch Nails, Lord, Foo Fighters, REM, and even Queen. So lots of really big names have been at this venue over the years. Styx recorded a live reunion album at this venue in 1996, and comedian Gabriel Iglesias, he has a Netflix special called I'm Sorry for What I Said When I Was Hungry that was filmed here in 2016. I also found one other memorable note from this arena's history. I'm just going to read you the uh, direct quote. On December 29th, 2002, Creed gave a concert at the arena with lead singer Scott Stapp obnoxiously high and drunk. After barely performing and mumbling incoherently through the first few songs, he fell asleep on stage for a number of minutes and the show ended early. The performance led four concert goers to sue the band for over $2 million and contributed to Creed's breakup. <laughs> Um, so cue the uh, Scott Stapp Marlin song. Let's play ball, it's game day. We want strikeouts, base hits, double plays. Take the field, hear the roar of the crowd. 
really sounds like he's saying you will suck. I just, I know he's saying you will soar, which doesn't make necessarily much more sense. I mean, frankly, based on their history, you will suck makes a lot more sense. It's a more honest <laughs> reading of the song, but yeah, sorry to, to dunk on Creed, but that really cracked me up. All right. So let's talk about this set, this compilation. Actually, one more one more note about this run first. Uh, I found out that, uh, according to our friend Grateful Seconds, the band grossed about $1.2 million across these three nights. Pretty good. Pretty good uh, ticket sales. They sold out all three nights, as you would expect. So uh, this compilation has songs from all three nights. I think that it's most heavily skewed toward 310. I agree with you. Yeah, and then 311 in the second set makes a heavy percentage and... Three nine is barely touched on, which it's sparse. Yeah. Which there are there are two notable errors and omissions, but we'll save those for the very end. But one wow. of those omissions is from three nine. Okay. So um yeah, there are only three songs from three nine. I think the high point of three nine is included in here though. I will say that because I listened to that entire show. Um so for me, the most memorable moment of that show is in here, which I appreciate. But there were some things that were left off. Um before we get into the at the at the end, we can talk about things that were left off that you particularly appreciated. But there were some noteworthy things, I think. Um, on three nine was the first ever first set Liberty. Now, does that warrant inclusion on this? I don't know. Mm. Liberty's a fine song. It's not my favorite. It's it is what <laughs> it is. Um, but I thought that was kind of cool. They had always played it in the second set, and not that it existed for that long before this. This was maybe the third or fourth performance of it. Um, oh, that's not true. Cause it debuted in 92. So it had been played for a while in the second set. The last ever performance of a mind left body jam was on 310, And that's not included here. That's one of my notable errors and omissions. Yeah. Um, and then the first ever Liberty encore on 311, uh, also not included. I think I'm glad with the encore that they picked though. Same. Yeah. I think it's, and we'll, I think the best way to do this is to talk about like the song and then the night it's from, um as we go on but i think that they picked the strongest encore of the three nights yeah yeah i agree we'll we'll talk about it that way um so without any further ado let's get into this long long crazy crazy night Feel like This show opened, or excuse me, this compilation opens with Feel Like a Stranger. Maybe for like these, you know, like openers, like set opener, set closer. Maybe we should talk about the other, like the alternatives that he could have chosen for this. I think sure. this was, I think this was the best choice. Um, I will say that. I really, honestly, you know, we could nitpick, but like this guy these dead sound guys, if it was multiple people, but I think it was just one guy who made this compilation. 
took the time to make a compilation of a three-night run in 1993 that has not gotten any fanfare. Let's be honest, maybe a little bit. But like I remember last year, 2022, Dave Lemieux played some of this stuff um, on Today in Grateful Dead History. And he was like, I remember um, I have some friends who went to these shows and were like, man, these guys sounded great in Rosemont. I can't believe you missed those shows. And so I know that there were there are people who really did didn't do like these shows. But what a what a great thing that he did this. Um, I'm so happy that it exists. I am too. And we kind we should have started off on another foot than noting errors and omissions. We should have said thank you for putting this together. The idea is great. The execution is great. I mean, he he compiles it so well. Um, yeah, we're we're very appreciative and very fortunate that he took the time to do this and put this together so that we could enjoy it. Absolutely, so that we and other many other fellow deadheads uh, can enjoy it. But let's talk about um the other shows, um what they were opening, what they opened with on those other nights. So uh, the first night they opened with "Here Comes Sunshine," um, a cool song to open a show with. For mm-hmm. sure. Um, and oh, anytime I hear it to open a show, it brings me back to um, Dick's Picks Volume One. I and that was a Vince idea, right? In the 90s to bring that back as a as an opener. Well, to bring it back, comma, and bring it back as an opener. I'm not sure. Um, I know that Bruce pushed them in a lot of different directions set list wise. He might have had something to do with it or, or could have been Vince. I'm really not sure. I thought I read on like the 30th anniversary last year of a 1992 show where it like came back um, that it's one of Vince's favorite dead songs. And so he was really, really pushing them to revive it. And then they revived it as the show opener, I think maybe in like Philadelphia in 1992. Wow. Great memory. Um, Yeah, they did. They had shelved it for 18 years. So in 74, they played it for the last time and they brought it back in 1992 to open up a show. Um, they had gone 1,200 shows between playing. Wow. That can't be right, can it? It could be. I mean, they played 2,000 shows. It, it so, could be. Yeah, there were 400 after. Damn. Well, according to this list that I'm looking at, it was, yeah, 1,225 performances between Here Comes Sunshines, which is really crazy. Well, hey, shout out to Vince. Um Great idea to bring it back, but that's not where we open this. We open it with the song that they opened 310 with, and then 311, they opened with a a good old-fashioned Help Slip Franklin. We get the Franklin's Tower after this, but we don't get the Help or the Slipknot. This feel like a stranger. I feel like it's a pretty nice version. Um, I like Bob singing. I like how tight the playing is, and I think that the end comes together really smoothly. Like It has this very nice kind of dramatic ending, but before that, right around 440, Jerry goes into a full-blown Indian bead string solo that sounds fantastic. Oh yeah! And then I love how playful and fun Bobby and Phil's playing is around it. Um, Phil wants the Indian bead string too because he's just grooving during this <laughs> song, and he—it's like nonstop. Phil just boom, 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 boom. Um, so uh, yeah, I think this is a is this is a pretty cool feel like a stranger. I really enjoyed it, and I think it's a cool way to start this compilation. I agree. I think there was like a a groove in baton and it went from Phil passed it to Vince for a hot minute. And then it passed on to Jerry for the rest of the song. Um, number 47 feel like a stranger on heady version. So it's a good start. Okay. Now we're talking. I'm not going to lie to you, Dave. I didn't expect many of these songs to be on heady version because 93 is not a particularly beloved year 
Um, so, but I guess the flip side is there were a ton of people going to concerts of theirs in 1993 and probably a lot of them with internet literacy, um, who would be on a site like Hetty version and able to vote. So I guess we will see as this all unfolds. Um, as I said, after feel like a stranger, which was from three ten, we go into the Franklin's tower. That was the third song, um, on the 11th. I'm not really bothered by uh, the help and slip not being a part of this because they played Franklin's Tower by itself enough that it's like this felt kind of natural to me. I will say the slip knot on 311 was like excellent. It's only three minutes. It's super short. The help is uh, not not the greatest, um, but the slip knot is really, really good. And this Franklin's Tower is pretty good, too. You got a pleasant, warm jam. I thought the drumming on this song was top tier. Um, and I thought the backup vocals helped a, a tired sounding Jerry get to the finish line. Yes. So I have a lot of notes on this song. I was a, I was very, very high on it. Um, so basically right off the rip, like pre-verse one, we get a really nice solo from Jerry. Phil is super clear in the mix on this song. And he has this kind of twangy sound, not just in this song, but throughout a lot of this mix. Um, it sounds really good. It's pretty interesting though. It's like less deep than a lot of his tones that he uses throughout the years. It's not like Phil bomb style. It's got more of that kind of, it just twang to it. Then post verse one and like the solo between verse one and verse two, is just really nice. There's this great little groove in this jam that they get into, um, between, um, Bob, Phil and Vince at that point. That sounds awesome. And then, um, I guess like in that same range, like around the four minute, four and a half minute mark, Jerry's tone takes a really nice turn. He gets further down the neck of his guitar is playing more high pitched notes that sound really good and just a tidy little solo. And then he clears out for Vince to have another tidy little soda solo. It's like pretty, pretty short, but sweet um, that I think is really good. But then his playing after the listen to the music play is real tasty. That is, I think like, the high point of the song around sorry that's like the beginning of the high point of the song around like 620 they move into this slower tempo and they kind of break it all down um they get this sparse sound that's building up toward if you play nice you better harvest wind and then um after that like it they, they just pick it back up jerry's singing in the last verse and afterward the roll away they do is really i think pretty good uh, comparatively to kind of some of the other songs throughout this, you know, his voice sounded pretty good throughout this entire run, I think. Um, but yeah, I, Vince's vocal range is also closer to Donna's than to Brent's. And I just, I kind of like that on this song too. Um, I think so, it helps. yeah. Yeah. So overall, I just thought it was a very nice version. I was really just totally in on this compilation as soon as I heard this song. And one more little thing near the end, when Vince is doing like his, you know, diving all over the keys near the end, he yeah. doesn't want to stop. He like keeps going with his piano solo as Jerry and Bob go into the end part, you know, like the do, 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 do. Yep. Is he's like playing an extra note when they transition into that? Cause I just think he doesn't want to stop <laughs> and he spins it in a way where it sounds like it's on purpose what he does next. Like he continues to twinkle in a weirder way 
going back down into that walk down, but it, it, there's like an extra note. I was like, huh. And I re-listened to it and I was like, man, I wonder if he was just like going at it, jamming so hard, not paying attention to everybody else. And then heard what was going on and was like, Oh, whoops. And (laughs) figured out how to get back down like on a dime. Um, So I thought that that was pretty neat too. That is nice save Vince. So yeah, I, I thought that was a really good, really good performance of Franklin's tower. The song's just good in all eras, you know, it's, I mean, legitimately, like, I think it's a song that is one of the ones that dead and co plays like particularly well, mm-hmm. it's great in the seventies, great in the eighties. And here we are. It's great in the nineties. next song is when i pay my masterpiece also from uh, march 11th have we talked about this song before i think maybe once okay so i i really really like this song let's see how many times did they play it 100 and something yeah 146 um starting in 87 and going all the way through as far as bob dylan covers go this is what i'm a big fan of even more so than others. And they don't really do any Bob covers that I am not a fan of. I think that they play Bob stuff really, really well, but I really, especially like the ones, the ones where Bob can sing it and kind of put his own stamp on it. Mm-hmm. I feel like it might be the more popular opinion that oh, I, it definitely is the more popular opinion that Jerry was like the one who had Bob Dylan's stuff down. If you ask Bob Dylan, he would say that there's that great quote where he's like, <laughs> listening to Jerry play my songs has given me a newfound appreciation for a lot of those songs where I'll hear the way he plays it and be like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I could do it that way. So, you know, when the man himself says that, you know, hands up, you, right. you got me. But I think that Bob, Bob Weir has a great sense for the, you know, what a Dylan song can be. The way that he performs the song is really, really nice. And I think that this performance in particular sounds like extra emotional to me. He's really kind of putting that little extra stank on it when he's singing. There's there's definitely some snarl in his voice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which I thought it was interesting. I don't think it was bad. I don't think it like really worked with kind of the tone of the song, but he was definitely like, like you said, he was, he was putting his, uh, he was putting some work into it. I think it works. I like the like life would be sweet like Rhapsody. That part, uh, the 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 little the extra stank he puts on that. I'm here for it. Um, a, Bob still loves this song. If you go see um, We're in the Wolf Bros, I saw him perform this song live last summer or last winter. He's performing it now in his cool. uh, t- Tiny Desk concert for NPR. He he plays it and just rocks it. So Bob is still out there playing this song. Um, the drums can feel a little bit sneakery at times on a way or in, in times of this track, but not in a way that really detracts from it. It's just kind of like every, you know, every now and then you'll be like, Ooh, okay. That maybe, maybe a little much there, but you know, it's, it's not distracting 
per se. If, if I wasn't so actively listening so that I could talk about it on this show, I'm not sure I would have noticed it. And I love the ending of this song. The way that they the way that they close it and bring it on home, I think is like a perfect ending to this song. So another one where I'm like, is is 93 dead like elite? Like I hear this and I'm like, <laughs> what am I? I mean, it's I know that there are more highs and dramatic lows in 93, but we got some great stuff so far just through three songs. Yeah. Our friends, the masses side with you. They liked it too. Number 14 masterpiece on heady version. Wow. So top 10th percentile. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, next Peggy. This is from three ten. So from the, the middle night of the run, I don't have a ton of notes on this except to say the solo at the end of the two minute mark, two fifty three is the time that I wrote. Uh, it's just kind of a lovely little solo, absolutely vintage accompaniment from Bobby and Phil. They're they're playing really well around it, and then from that point onward, you've got like the full Indian bead string effect for a good ninety seconds or two minutes. Just you know, classic Jerry. It sounds excellent. I thought that the like tired older vocals from Jerry lended an air of authenticity. Like it's not some young 20 year old high school sweetheart love song, but it's like an old grizzled lover who like wishes he could marry his longtime love, but he couldn't. I just thought that, you know, his voice on this version added an element of complexity. That's um, interesting. Which so I think I, made it deeper and like better. I'm very here for that reading of it. For me, this song, I've always, when I envision it, I've always pictured like a, you know, young guy who's like 20 years old and he's just like lamenting. It's like a Romeo and Juliet situation. But That's just, what I would picture too. But like you hear this and it's like, uh, maybe a, a 55 year old who's been married and divorced and, you know, the love of his life, you know, it, it didn't work out timing wise and now they're back together. And there's like an added element of, complexity i i think it it took it to an interesting spot so for I, me, I'm, I'm in on 93 peggio basically yeah, fair enough so for me the way that i was hearing it when i heard it this way I'm, I'm with you it like changed the frame for me of like huh but i wasn't thinking of it as a 55 year old and especially when cherry was 55 he was pretty <laughs> grizzled um he, he was you know he had the big gray beard his hair was almost white um and uh but what i was thinking of was like someone who's around that age thinking back to the time mm. of like, oh, man, and I, I would have married her if I could have. And now I've written this song about that time in my life and how, what a shame it was that my, my guineas were too few. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah, I think it's a really nice performance. Um, I'm in on 93 Peggy O too. So good, good one here. Um, next up is let it grow. Also from three ten. So this is a, a pretty long and and very good performance of Let It Grow. The conclusion of like the really big jam around the 10 minute mark is extremely satisfying to me. Like the oh, way that yeah. they, yeah, the way that they pay off that big jam in the middle is just like, ooh, yes, give me that. <laughs> so <laughs> I love that. I think that this, this version of Let It Grow is like, 100% worth listening to especially for how good that jam is in the middle just a, a great a great performance yeah and it's worth getting through the first four or five minutes which are not gonna not gonna sugarcoat it a little tough the first half of the song sounds a little worn out yeah um 
Vince's midi shimmering in like the first half too add a different flavor to this song and it's I'll compare it to like an, a raspberry flavor I admit it's sweet but I don't prefer it okay it's very sweet it's just not for me and then at like the halfway point of this song it, you you get that crunchy riff you get the big jam and all of a sudden the switch flips and it's a completely new song that sounds electric and fantastic and it pays off in a big way. So I think if you sit through the first half, um, you know, it, it gets blossomed into this like rocking bounce the house jam Vince going crazy at the end. I, I loved the second half of the song and it is worth it to endure the first half of the song. I wouldn't have known that I was so much higher on the second half until you just said that, but all of my notes are from the back half of the song. <laughs> so um, I think you're yeah. right. Yeah, the, I I love how mellow this song gets before they build it all the way back up for that final verse and then the conclusion. Um, a, a really much more driven final jam of this song. Um, so yeah, really good Let It Grow. Again, once you you know get through the first half. But hey, you know, how can one know... Um, green in perpetual summer you got to have those ups and downs to really appreciate it right so okay off to a great start so far and we're going to continue on that track there are not really many songs on this that i'm down on at all but an interesting one especially is up next so many roads this song we definitely have not talked about one of the one of the final like late hunter garcia masterpieces in my opinion So this song debuted on February 22nd, 1992, the same day as Karina, which we'll hear in a little while. It was only played 55 times between then and 1995. So for a song that they played 55 times, 1% of 2000 would be 20. So they played it in roughly 3% of their shows. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. So for a song that they've barely ever played, this song holds a special place in a lot of Deadhead's hearts. As evidence of that, this is the name of a great Grateful Dead box set, So Many Roads. It's the name of David Brown's fantastic book, So Many Roads, about the Grateful Dead. Um, and I think a lot of people really, really love this song because the lyrics are good. It feels poignant. And at this moment in Jerry's life, for him to be singing it the way that he was, I think it really struck a chord with people. So I just think this is a really nice song. I don't have a great basis for comparison. Um, for this and other versions because i have not listened to very like a ton of 92 93 etc uh, like late late period dead but i right. really enjoyed this performance the playing feels really natural all the singing is great i think that the tender backing ooze from uh vincent bobby and phil um sound really really good and then especially the ending like jerry breaks it he breaks it down over some real Tom pounding drums from um, Mickey and Bill. It sounds wonderful. So I'm, I'm all for this. So many roads. I was too in a word triumphant. That's what mm. I would use to describe the song. You said that you don't know how to, you know, really wrap your head around or compare this song. That's why we go to the masses, go to the masses. That's why we see what they have to say. And they say number 23 on heady version. All right. So top half. Mm-hmm. Maybe someday we should uh, hear the show that has the number one So Many Roads. Just go deep on So Many Roads. I'm here for it. (laughs) 
Um, okay, the next song is one that is I do have a very large basis for comparison, and that is Row Jimmy. Um, I've heard many a Row Jimmy. This one is from March 9th. Uh, and I should say that, that So Many Roads was from 311. I'm not sure if I said that. This Row Jimmy is so slow, it's almost halting. Um, I prefer a much faster Row Jimmy, so this one was not it for me. When you started saying your ha sound, I thought you were going to say horrible. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, I'm not going that far, but it's not not my tempo. No, that's all right, Dave. It's just not my tempo. <laughs> so, uh... yeah. This one, I prefer a faster version. The soloing is pretty undeniable. I'll give it up for that. I mean, mm-hmm. the soloing is quite good. There's this midified flute accompaniment, but they don't use enough of it. Maybe that's a hot take. I wish that there was more of that MIDI flute. <laughs> I think um, that's a hot take, but yeah, okay. I just, I know <laughs> I know what a great Road Jimmy sounds like. This ain't it, but it would have been a much more interesting Road Jimmy if there was more of that MIDI flute. So... Um, we need more MIDI flute, I guess, is my my takeaway for this one. Not my favorite of the uh, compilation, but it's fine. What about you? I'm right in lockstep with you. I wasn't blown away. Although, to be honest, what other song were you going to incorporate from um, March 9th, set one? Because there's not, there's not some, have. yeah, there's not some good choices on that one. Um so not a lot to add on on road jimmy but now yeah. we're back into march 10th yeah um, and with... no go ahead so we are back into march 10th and we are into this interesting thing where you have road jimmy from 39 and then queen jane approximately from 310 queen jane sounds so perfect after road jimmy <laughs> i know that that's not what they actually did on these nights but man that as like the chaser to road jimmy i was like oh my god i wonder how often they did this because whoo i loved it i'm I, I really thought this was great what did you think of um what did you think of first that order of songs road jimmy and then queen jane even though again they didn't actually play them in that order throughout they the didn't tour. um and then the next song after this is ramble on rose also from 310 so and that did follow the Queen Jane. So that little yeah. three, that little threesome of Row Jimmy, Queen Jane, Ramble on Rose, I thought worked pretty well. It's a good Queen Jane with some tight drumming, twinkly keys, and a good little guitar solo around the four minute thirty second mark. Yep. Um, masses liked it. Number twenty, Queen Jane on Heady version. Okay, nice. So I, I looked it up. They did do Row Jimmy into Queen Jane just three times. Wow. So it did happen, um, but it was never a goes into either. It was like Ro Jimmy, pause, Queen Jane. But that's what this is too. And I just, I liked it. I just like the way that those two songs kind of, the way they kind of work together. So yeah, I thought that the Queen Jane was great. Um, the jam between like 345 and 415 is really nice as well. In addition to the the solo that you're talking about. I also had a note, good drumming and keys, which you said as well. Um, it really sets up for a nice solo from Jerry, the way that the drumming and keys are in that jam beforehand. The Ramble on Rose. So as you know, if you're a loyal listener of this show, my sister, aka Moat, is a big Ramble on Rose fan. So um, I texted her and said, Moat, vote. Is this a good Ramble on Rose or not? And she said it's her second favorite that she's ever heard. 
Whoa. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So um, every time I hear a good ramble on Rose, I send her one too. So she's heard a bunch. Um, she said that this one is second to the closing of Winterland version of Ramble on Rose, which is, I mean, an undeniable version of that song. After the um, take you to the leader of the band lyric, this song fully heats up and it culminates around 445 to five minutes. Um, let's hear what that sounds like. an absolute heater dave this ramble on rose it's great it's really good and everything in that three minute mark to the five minute mark is just on point the drumming the rhythm under jerry jerry like flying around the guitar <laughs> vince providing those like midi flavored quacks on the keys like that come in this is a standout ramble on rose i thought i thought it was fantastic I completely agree, and and so does so does Moat. So as long as she does, we're we're good. We don't we're even need to place. go to the masses. We know what she thinks. The rest we is don't. gravy. Absolutely. So next is Eyes of the World. This is an this is to me the most interesting part. I think of this compilation. So on three ten, the order of the songs went Peggy O, which we heard, then Queen Jane, which we heard, but not right after Peggy O. Then Ramble on Rose, which we just heard. Then Let It Grow. Then Eyes of the World. So he completely scrambled all of that um, for this. Yeah, an interesting crafting decision. And I don't know if like Eyes of the World is supposed to be like the crafted set one closer or the set two opener. Um, Karina was anyway. in the second set on 310. So you're probably right. I bet this was meant to be um the set one closer okay kind of an interesting crafting decision but i think it would have been it would have been a weird run to have going back to the beginning in this like crafted dead sound uh compilation when i pay my masterpiece into peggy o into road jimmy or into so many roads into road jimmy mm -hmm. i feel like that would have been like too too much calm before the storm so i think the let it grow mm. being plugged in there like kind of helps helps it keep it help with some variety yeah yeah i bet you're right um yep. so i i didn't um i didn't oh, mind yeah. that crafting decision I'm and i mean we've at all. we've sat here and had dave's picks with different shows and different discs and stuff so who who yeah. are we to judge yeah no i was definitely i i had no problem with it i just thought it was interesting when i was looking back at the set list and it was like oh that's interesting that he moved this around it all does feel very natural um so yeah no no objection for me i just thought it was worth noting um i thought this was a nice version there's some cool like bongos or some other type of percussion that mickey is playing toward the end that i thought was kind of interesting my only real qualm with this is that they wind it down and end it really quickly and like I kind of would have liked some more like it's a pretty short little version and I would have been fine with them with them uh, playing it longer. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a pretty slow March into eyes of the world in the yeah. first couple minutes. Um, 
but yeah, they they get on it. Uh, Vince's tone on the piano for this song, it's like it was crafted for the song. It's perfect for the the pleasant stroll through the eyes of the world park. I thought it just sounded so good. Yeah. Um, that's all I had on eyes of the world. Yeah. That, that's uh, I don't have anything else either. So that is the end of set one. We'll call it. Um, and now we get into set two with Karina from three ten as well. So this song, as I said earlier, was debuted um, in February, 1992. Uh, they played it 77 times between then and 1995, and they still play it today. This is another one I saw Bob play last winter. A somewhat rare late period Hunter Weir collaboration. In the beginning, I don't know if you felt this way. I was just waiting for Bob to say, I am Iron Man, and just start playing a cover of Iron Man, <laughs> the way that the sound was at the beginning of this. With that, wow, like that, that kind of drone at the beginning. Yeah. I was just waiting for it. I was like, get get me Bob impersonating Ozzy out here. Let's go for it. <laughs> um, but it was not meant to be. Instead, it's Karina. It's interesting to me how ominous the playing sounds um, on this song. There are these it? like, yeah. It's like, like a echoey back alley nighttime down at the docks sleazy vibe. Yeah. And they, these like sustained droning notes that they play. But I do like how jammy it is. They they find some space and jam it out. Not like the high point of the show for me, um, but I do think this song is kind of interesting. It has a very kind of weird vocal delivery to it, which yeah. has to be Bob's. There's no way that Hunter, when he wrote the lyrics, there's no way that he envisioned Bob singing them that way. Um, but uh, it's cool. It's I, I think that it's interesting for sure. Yeah, Phil's got some bounce in his bass that gets you grooving. Jerry had some stank on his guitar too. Um, and then after the guitar solo, Vince, I think there was a moment where he hit every key on the keyboard, like going up and down the piano. The 10 minute mark through the end of the song, it's about uh, 12 and a half minutes. So those last two and a half minutes, it's like a dream sequence soundtrack, it's spacey and ethereal. Are you ready for this? Number one, Karina on heady version. Wow. Shake it up now. Okay. All right. Well, there it is. The number one Karina. I did not expect in any way that we were going to be getting a number one on Hetty version from this, this compilation, but same, but here we are. Cool. Okay. It's good. Karina. What can I say? All right. Well, um, from a good Karina to what I think is a great China cat sunflower. So the next two tracks, you got China Rider from 3-9. I said earlier that I think this is the high point. You seemed a bit dubious of that claim, though, Dave. Did you not agree that this is the high point of 3-9? I, I disagree that this is the high point of 3-9, and we'll talk about what I think was the high point near the end when we talk about what was left out of this compilation. All right, so stay tuned for that. For me, this is like the shortest China Cat and the shortest rider that I've ever enjoyed as much as I enjoy these two. In total, I think this is less than 10 minutes, the entire suite. 
it's like a hair over 10 and a half total. Yeah. So super tight, but the jamming on this song is just fantastic. Especially the jam that takes them from China Cat into Rider. It is especially good. The Jerry and Bob interplay is great. Phil is also playing really nicely with them. And it's just a really nice version to me for like a quick little six minute little um, performance. I just, the, the bluegrass twang in Bob's guitar added a little bit of intrigue. For Ryder, the transition faded in pretty quickly. I loved Vince's playing throughout that transition. It was very kind and inviting. And then a, a lot of energy for the verses in Ryder from both Bobby and Jerry. A big Colorado rain moment, which is, I think, why you like this. Solid late period China, Ryder. So it's not just that. It's before that, too. Uh, the note that I have is 150 to 226 is the good stuff vocally injected into my veins. The Bob gets his big moment. Jerry gets his big moment and they both just belt it out and the crowd is lapping it up. They love it. And I do too. So yeah, I'm all for both of them, you know, giving it a little extra ham, just hamming it up just a little bit extra on those, those vocal deliveries. I think it's fantastic. I know your writer, I think is like four and a half minutes or something like that. Like legitimately, that might be the shortest I know you rider that I've ever heard by like minutes. <laughs> and um, for them to have found um, the fire to play the way that they did on that song and then to have the great vocals to go with it um, gets a chef's kiss for me. I thought it was great. All right. So that's it for 3.9. We're done with it. All that's left is a little bit from 3.11, a little bit from 3.10. Uh, and then this compilation has come to a close. So Next up is a big suite from 311. Um, we have first, uh, we have Truckin'. So this is a decently long version of Truckin'. Um, that I should also say the order of songs on 311 was Truckin' into Spoonful into He's Gone into Drums. They kept out the um, Spoonful. I'm kind of grateful for that on this. That's not my favorite song. <laughs> and then um, they they kept the trucking and he's gone. I think that those are the two better songs of those three to keep in. If you're going to keep the drums in space from 311, which I'm so glad they did. Um, okay. So trucking. I don't have a ton on trucking. I mean, it, I think it's a good version. Don't get me wrong. And I like how long it is compared to a lot of the other songs that we've gotten throughout this um, throughout this mix, it's almost eight minutes, which I know doesn't seem long, but coming off the back of, like I said, very, very short China cat and very short rider. Um, you know, it's not like one of those snarling beasts of an 11 minute trucking that we would get during Europe 72, but it's also longer than like a four minute trucking where they just <laughs> kind of zoom right through it and don't jam it out at all. I think that the playing on this was really good. I Bob, think so too. I think it was very lively and they had a, a good little groove going on. And Bob vocally is really good on it. He doesn't miss anything lyrically. He's kind of on top of it. Uh, his performance is really good. So I'm here for it. But for me, it's a bit overshadowed by the the remainder that we get from 311, which is... A, I completely agree with that. It's a monster. He's gone. So beautifully played. The playing from Jerry and then Phil comes in and then Bobby gets into the mix too, uh, culminating right around like 1135, kind of toward the end of this song is like a true high point of this entire compilation for me. I think that it's played so, so, so well. 
equal parts tender, but like they keep it moving in an, in like a, a good way that kind of keeps you kind of keeps your head moving along and keeps you with it. I yeah. just thought it was an excellent. He's gone. One of the coolest moments I thought was right around the three minute mark. The nothing left to do, but smile, smile, smile. The roar of the crowd at that moment, I thought was just so touching. Yeah. Like they are with Jerry at that moment. And it was such a cool moment. Um, kind of like a lot of the whole show, really, really good playing some less than stellar vocal moments, but overall a, a good, he's gone. I've heard someone say this. I don't remember who, but in like these latter years of the grateful dead, there would be songs like this one or others where the way Jerry was singing it, you felt like he was singing about himself. And it was specific. This person mm. was talking about he's gone. It was like, I mean, he's there, but it's only going to be for so long. And then we're going to be hearing the song and thinking about the fact that he's gone, that guy who's singing it. And so I think that there is a bit of that kind of resonance, maybe not this early, because as we have heard throughout this entire compilation, the man still sounded great. <laughs> um, you know, it's not like 95 where it's like, Ooh, man, he really, he's sounded rough by then. He still sounds pretty strong in 93, but I do think that maybe there's a little bit of that for the crowd. Okay. Another one of my favorite parts of this entire compilation is up next drums in space. You may think I'm being facetious. I am in no way joking <laughs> when I say that this drums in space is one of my all-time favorite drums and drums is in spaces. There's so, a guest star. Yes. We have Ken Nordine coming up. So the way that, that this is broken down on the compilation, if you go download it through the link in the show notes, is drums, Fliberty Jib on the Bibbidi Bop, the island, space. The reason why is because Ken Nordine, who was a noted vocal talent, he did spoken word jazz, among other things, comes on stage and joins the band to deliver some basically poetry, as he would call it, vocal jazz. But he's just reading this kind of weird, these two kind of odd like poems, one called Fliberty Jib on the Bibbidi Bop. Um, and the other one is called The Island. But he's doing it over the top of space. And when I first heard this, I mean, I was pretty confused by it because it comes out of nowhere. There's no like corollary in the history of Grateful Dead music. There's no other show where this happens. And I, uh, I sent it to a couple of our other deadhead friends, mutual or just, you know, people in my life and was like, I want you to listen to this. And number one, tell me what you think. And number two, tell me if you think that this move of bringing this guy out and having him read this stuff is directly antagonistic toward the audience or not. <laughs> because depending on what state of mind you're in, what you've taken uh, to go enjoy this show, this could be a pretty disturbing experience. <laughs> yeah. The Fliberty Jib, if you're not in the right headspace, could really ruin your whole day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty intense. Um, I, I don't want to play it here because I, I'm, I can't play just part of it. So we would have to play the whole thing. And I just don't want to do that. Go seek it out. Listen to Fliberty Jib on the Bibbidi Bob. Listen to the Island with these weird ambient space sounds below it and how freaky it is. Um, and just enjoy. It's so weird and so great. I really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm not joking. I've listened to this probably like seven or eight times. 
because I just find it so interesting and compelling. So I was all for this. I wish that they would have done some weird shit like this more often even. Um, you know, you have all these people who are around them in the 60s, especially, you know, different beat poets who are probably at the um, the acid test and stuff like that. They should have gotten weird more often with stuff like this. Um, so I thought it was really cool. I don't think that Ken Nordine ever reprised his role with The Grateful Dead beyond this night. But I don't know. You know, great job by him. Great job by the dead to get him into the mix. The masses dug it as much as you did. There's weirdly both drums into space and space standalone on Heady Version. <laughs> okay. And this is the number six standalone space on Heady Version. What's number one? Do you have that up in front of you right now by any chance? I, I can. It won't take me too long. I can check. Because I'm very curious. I wonder if there's something like this where it's like something that makes it blatantly unique or if it's just like a random show where the space was really cool. Well, it's both. Okay. April 19th, 1982 from the Baltimore Civic Center in Baltimore, Maryland. Shout out. We've covered that place. Mm -hmm. And the comment says, no other space in history has Bob and Phil quoting from Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Or That's laughing hysterically about going to the dentist. We're going to have to check this out. <laughs> yeah, I'll listen as soon as we get off this. That's that's really odd, but great. Oh, man, that's good stuff. All right, so yeah, you got Fliberty Jib on the Bibbity Bop and then into the island, which is another kind of cool reading. And then we get into a little bit of a space um, ending. And then from there into the other one, kind of an interesting mitified intro that kind of I feel like part of the beginning of this song should still be labeled space, but it it is still, you know, it works into the other one as far as the recording goes. And then Jerry comes soaring out of that kind of primordial muck. <laughs> Phil quickly joins him. Vince comes in and now we're on to the other one. There's, I feel like as a result, it makes this, the other one feel even shorter than it is because the beginning sounds so, so much like space. It does. You use the word muck. And I think that's a pretty good word because the first three maybe minutes of this song are rough. Like it, I don't even know if muck does it justice, but then, so this is kind of like the let it grow, right? The let it grow. It was tough in the first half and it really soared in the second half. The same thing is going on here. As soon as Bob sings the first verse, first verse, as soon as he sings Spanish lady, like those words, it's like right as that happens, it's like the band got reminded that this was the song, the other one. They're like, oh, we wrote that. <laughs> We're really good at playing that song. And all of a sudden it tightens up like on a dime. This peaks and it peaks high. And it's weird that it's the same song.
This one, by the end, I felt the same way I did about Eyes of the World, where I was like, ah, couldn't you just kept it going a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Just giving us like another couple minutes of that. I would have been here. The second for it. half is so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think that it, it would have been. I, number one, if you're going to put the drums in space on, you have to include this so we understand how the drums in space resolved itself mm-hmm. on 311. But even if not, even if that weren't the case, you got. I think that this had to be included in the compilation because of how high the ending peak is. Um, so I'm I'm really glad to have it here. It just again, it feels a bit abbreviated because they're playing so well by the end, and it feels like they've just kind of recently hit that stride. Um, and it's like. I mean, I'm not asking for a Europe 72 21 minute version or 26 minute version. I take but a 13 though. Two more minutes of it, even. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I take a, a 10 instead of this like eight minute version. And like you said, only like five is kind of really that that good the other one stuff. <laughs> Number 220, 220 on heady version. You think right. that feels right? No, but I also think that it doesn't feel right that you counted out that many numbers to tell me which number it is. <laughs> Next time you can just say it's deep. It is it's a deep, deep other one. Um, the beginning is bad. So I don't know if that's an inaccurate masses rating, but the end is so good that it feels too low. Yeah, that's fair. That is totally fair. All right. Just a couple songs left and they're all from 310. That's kind of how we're finishing up this compilation. First up, The Wheel. This is the shortest version of The Wheel that I've ever heard. Um, it's very and That's not a bad thing. No, I'm not mad at it. I'm just saying it is. I mean, maybe this is just how short they were playing The Wheel in this era. Um, but it's yeah. six minutes on the dot on the archive version. But I think that includes a little pre and post song. Just a tiny Stuff. bit. The, yeah. the one in the download from uh, the must have been the rosemont compilation is 558 so roughly the same but it's just odd to see a a wheel that starts with a five when you look at the time um but it is there's some tight playing um in on 310 i'll I'll check this but i do think that this is the exact order of how they close the show i'm pretty sure it was the wheel into not fade away and then an encore of um it's all over now baby blue no it's not no there's two apologize all along the watchtower and standing on the moon in between the wheel and not fade away. And as someone who listened to all these songs, I mean, we're not missing anything leaving out the all along the watchtower. The standing on the moon is pretty good. So I really like that song. And I was actually about to say, I do remember listening to that now. I kind of wish as you know, the wheel is, is fine. I kind of wish that they would have put the standing on the moon after the other one, instead of the wheel for two reasons. Number one, it's a more unique song. It doesn't, they didn't play it as often. Number two, the wheel is a song they played out of space on 310. And so there's just a little bit for me of like drums, space, the song that comes out of space, and then the song after that. And if you would have done Standing on the Moon instead, then we're in that wheelhouse. But alas, um, so you, you, it sounds like you enjoyed this wheel, especially. I did. I did. I thought it was a good, strong, tight wheel. And I think, I think I'm learning about myself that the shorter the wheel, the better, because I think the last wheel that we talked about was short and it was the first one that I liked in a while. And I really liked this one too. I thought Vince really brought this song along really well, like kind of led everybody in the right direction. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I, his vocals also sound good on this song, Vince. Yes. 
So we skip all along the watchtower and standing on the moon, and we get into the second set closer from March 10th, Not Fade Away. I think that this is a fine version. I don't think it's great. The jamming is very stacked up. There's just a lot of sound going on um, at the same mm-hmm. time. They're really kind of letting it all hang out. It's very chaotic, but not bad. Just There's just a lot. Um, I think especially what Phil is doing, his playing in the back half of the song is like really, yes. really good. Really good. And you can hear him very clearly in the mix. So that's that's pretty cool. And it's his playing is great. Um, and then also the crowd love at the end. It's just an awesome part of the song. Yeah. The best band member of this song is the crowd. Like yeah. the energy that they are pouring in for the end is so fun to listen to. Yeah. Um, it is, it is really cool. Um, I love that, uh, the claps and the singing not fade away. Having done that at a concert, it's a great time. Really yeah. fills you with love as you get ready to leave. And they're I, in time. Yeah. Which was really impressive too. So yeah, the crowd is great on not fade away. And then we go into the encore. It's all over now, baby, baby blue. I think we've talked about a version of this from 1968 or 69. One of them. Yeah. All right, so easily the longest um, like gap between two versions of a single song that we've ever talked about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, which is pretty cool. I love that they're still playing it in this era. I love the way that Jerry performs this song. It's not as vocal high point of the compilation, but I'm still here for it. Um, and I, I think it's a good version. Vince's keys are so middied up and just sound great. I really yeah. actually dig them quite a bit, uh, the way that he's playing on this song. So I thought it was a nice end cap to the compilation and uh, a fine, it's all over now, baby blue. And it's all over now, baby blue. And it's all over now, baby blue. Well, it's all over now. March 10th ended really strong. This is, I think, without question, without debate, the best encore of any of the three nights. Three nights got a pretty interesting one. They encored with Knocking on Heaven's Door. Mm-hmm. And then March 11th, they encored with Liberty. But this like blows both of those out of the water. This is a really, really good cover. Number 44, Baby Blue on Heady Version. Wow. And according to the comment, and I would love you for you to fact check this, uh, the only baby blue of 1993. I will fact check that. Um, I while I am doing that, I will also say when I saw the um, encore for the first night was knocking on heaven's door, and then the second night was um, was this song. I was like, all right, well, what Dylan song are they encoring with night three? Are we going to get a tangled <laughs> up in blue or what, what's going on there? That would have been cool. It would have been, but um, it was not meant to be. Instead, they busted out Liberty, which I think. Is that the only repeat of the three nights? Ooh, I think so. I think so as well. Kind of odd. Just kind of odd and pretty impressive that they could, you know, 
well yeah that, all those that, nights with that too that is also true until the very end yes this was the only um baby blue of 93 they played it once in 92 once in 93 um, and then a bunch of times in 94 once in 95 so you know this song i'm pretty sure they retired it for almost all of the 70s yeah from 74 to 81 they didn't play it but a real you know a stalwart of their sets from 66 until 95 that's really impressive 29 year gap between the first and the last version played wow all right dave let's have your airing of grievances what songs do you think were left out that should have been included in this compilation okay there are three we've already actually talked about one from march 10th the mind left body jam Mm -hmm. out of corinna is good and it's the last one they ever played so i feel like that had a little noteworthiness to it yeah um the post we kind of harped on three nine it's only represented here twice and so that it's very fair to infer that that's probably not like a great show um but the post space suite from march 9th is the last time into black peter into sugar magnolia all three are good the black peter is dynamite it is incredible and i feel like it's a a true error that it was not included in this legit for any era let alone 1993 um number 42 black peter on heady version i went deep in support of that black peter which i thought was the high point of the march 9th show so a if someone had remembered this from listening to our show i will my mind would be blown 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 and if you did remember this as we were talking you know be honest if you didn't remember it, that's fine. I I just remembered it right now. But if you did remember it, send us a note and we will send you a sticker or something because I'm so amazed by it. <laughs> a long, long time ago, maybe the first episode that we even did the Days Between. or No, it wasn't the first, but it might have been the second. My Days Between was I woke up one day with Sugar Mag stuck in my head. And I was like, I'm going to listen to it. was It was like 7.15 in the morning. And I was like, I'm going to listen to um, Today in Grateful Dead History and see maybe there was a Sugar Mag on that. And it was this Sugar Mag. So one person oh. who agrees with you about this segment being great is one David Lemieux because he played um, the second set of this night, but he didn't play the whole set. He played it. He played those four songs. He played from um, this might be the last time through the encore. So the David David mind meld is in full effect. Um, so yeah, I think that you're not the only one who feels that way, that that is like a great set of music and, um, and certainly worth it. Look at that. And as we say, every episode now, Dave, let me come on the show. We can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, and then okay. the, the final, um, one that, you know, I just, I wish was included, um, after the other one on March 11th, they play an 11 minute days between And I think that that Days Between is really exceptional. Maybe I'm a little biased because it's one of the songs that's part of our little run here that gets played in one of our segments. But I thought that Days Between was really good too. So those would be my three three critiques of what's overall an impressive and a a very cool idea that Dead Sound came up with. Yeah, okay. I mean, overall, again, 
we'll give it up to dead sound one more time first of all great app if you haven't had a chance to play around with it go do it it's really cool it's nice to have an app that's just like dedicated for just grateful dead music you don't have to you know filter through all that other garbage no (laughs) (laughs) on like re-listen in the archive there's so much great shit i mean it's not even just like on the internet archive it's not just music either it's like people have recorded full audiobooks Go check out the Lord of the Rings one that's on there. It's unbelievable the effort that this man has put into, you know, the sound of horses stomping and doing different voices and stuff. It's, <laughs> it's remarkable. Um, clips from the soundtracks to the movies to, you know, add to the drama. It's great. These are all great platforms, but there's room for another one. Let's let's make that abundantly clear. And de- the Dead Sound app is really cool. Uh, it's a simple and very clean uh, user interface. But then there are some really cool things that you don't get on the other apps. Uh, one thing that I really like is the dead base top fives from just so far every year from 66 through um, 75. But if you ever, if you were ever curious and you're like, oh, you know what? I love 1970, but I don't know a ton of shows from that year. You can go click on that top five and see what are the, according to dead base, the best shows from that year. And then there are other little features too, like 1970s original song debuts is one of them that I've listened to a couple times. You get you know, all of the debuts of their different songs that they introduced to the live catalog in 1970. So seriously, full-throated recommendation of checking out the Dead Sound app. Um, It's still in beta testing. Once it goes fully live, it will be, I'm sure, an even better product. So shout out to them um, for making a great app and for making this compilation for us. One question to pose for you before we land this plane. Will you listen to more 1993 after listening to this compilation? I will. I would have anyway, but I'm definitely going to because it's the 30th anniversary yeah. of 1993. That makes it really easy. So that's a, it's kind of a cop out, but I think even if it wasn't 2023 and we weren't looking at this 30 years later, yes, I would. I still would. So I've now, each of the first three months of this year, I've heard a song for its 30th anniversary or a show that I've really, really liked. Um, in January, there's a great show where carlos santana comes in and plays with the gang for a little while couldn't recommend that one any more highly it's awesome in uh february there was a couple that both had ornette coleman sitting in those are pretty cool too and now these ones in march i think 1993 is a slept on year in grateful dead history um now i will also say one of the most beloved shows of this year is from 822 at austin stadium i've listened to that one i don't think it's nearly as good um, so nearly as good as these Rosemont shows, mm. correct. Or the January one, even people disagree. And when you look at like the dead compendium, like the song, the shows that people voted on as like the best shows of the year, these ones are, I think 15th for the 11th and like 18th for the 10th. And then the ninth is somewhere in the top 25 or something like that. So there are a bunch of shows that people liked even more than these, which makes me want to explore 93 even more deeply. I'll also give a plug for a really cool documentary that you can go check out called And Miles to Go Before I Sleep. It's made by Peter Shapiro. Um, Might be Peter Shapiro. I don't know. I think it's Shapiro. If you're thinking like, oh man, I know that guy's name. It's because he is a very successful concert promoter. He was the promoter that organized the Fare Thee Well shows in 2015. He's the owner of the Brooklyn Bowl and the Capitol Theater. He was the founder of the Locken Festival and a couple of other ones. And he's the publisher of Relics Magazine, a magazine I'm happy to subscribe to. Very, very successful 
business impresario in, in the music scene and in the jam scene, the dead scene. So before all of that, he was a student at Northwestern. He went to these shows at the Rosemont and got on the bus. And then that summer as a student at Northwestern had summer break and went, I'm getting on the road with this band. And so he went and made a documentary about the experience and he interviewed some amazing people. So just some of them that are on the documentary and the link is in the show notes below. Um, but some of the interviewees include Timothy Leary, John Perry Barlow, Ken Kesey, Al Franken, Ice-T, strangely enough, talking about, wow, the, yeah, talking about the Grateful Dead, <laughs> which is a trip. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Check that out uh, if you want some more about 93. But I think that 93 might be a sneaky, still good year for the dead. I'll own this. When I got into the dead, I listened to a lot of their 70s stuff and was like, man, is their 80s stuff even that good? And then I, I've now listened to enough of their 80s stuff that I'm like, yes, the answer is yes. There's a lot of <laughs> 80s stuff that is really, really, really good. Right. And not just from 89, you know, or 81 or, you know, these years that you hear a lot of good things about. We've now heard good stuff from 84, from 85. 85, yeah. Some, some of the 87 shows when they just came back are like some of my all-time favorites. There's that box that last year, 81, 82, 83, good stuff in all of those shows. Mm-hmm. Now we've gotten some good shows from 90, obviously, is a beloved year. 91. Now I'm in 93 and loving it. It's only a matter of time, Dave, before like, give me like eight months. I'm going to be like, dude, 95 dead is like secretly <laughs> really good. <laughs> so that's, we are on a collision course with that take coming out of this podcast. I, I'm calling it right now. So obviously you know we're heads we're probably should be expected to say things like that um and also part of what we're trying to do here is spread positivity about all this stuff and not be too negative so uh, maybe that is also a bit of a bias but i dug these shows i'm really happy to be in um to be in 93 as well yeah and cover a lot of ground through three shows it was it was a good time yeah all right so the question that's on everyone's mind. The question is, what song do you take with you on your imaginary playlist? I thought about being really nice. You know, you get one from each show. I'm going to actually do the opposite. You get one. Yeah. Cutthroat. I like it. Which one uh, are you taking? I will let you go first. Do the honors. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, cheap out here you're gonna take black peter you son of a no, no 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 i'm not okay. i'm not <laughs> i'm gonna cheap out here and take the layup of what the masses think is the number one i'm gonna be a rating slut and i'm gonna go with karina <laughs> from march 10th because wow. am i ever gonna get to do that again i don't know well you're in the pocket of big karina it's confirmed <laughs> dave an absolute corporate shell for karina the karina lobby has gotten into his head all right that's fine dave i'm taking the songs that come right after in this compilation give me the china rider i know three nine is not the most beloved show among these three and i'm very sad not to have the let it grow yeah but the let it grow i'm sad to not have the ramble on rose Mm. god another good one so much good stuff from this compilation yeah the let it grow to me is a bit harder to swallow that i don't have that because i don't think i have one of those and i'm not sure when I will acquire one of those for my ever-growing imaginary playlist. And I know I've got multiple China Cat, Sunflower, and I Know You Riders. Also, apropos of nothing except for this song, shout out to our friend Howard Weiner, who always calls uh, China Cat, Sunflower, Cat. 
Did you notice that when we talked to him? Yeah. He's like, that cat rider man is awesome. <laughs> and I have not heard anyone else say that. And I think it's fantastic. So I kind of want to start calling it cat rider. If I, if I can get away with it, I'm not sure I can. Also to ease your concerns, you have never officially selected a, a cat China rider, cat. a cat rider. Right. Wow. So, all right. Well, that does make me feel a lot better. Okay, good. So that's, what we got then Karina and China cat sunflower into I know you rider. Well, that about does it. We've been talking for a long time, but there's a lot of music to talk about. So that makes sense. Yeah. And then this is new for us. We're organized and we actually know what the next show we're going to talk about is going to be. Would you like to do the honor since it's in in your city? It's the show from Duke University, the Cameron Indoor Coliseum in 19 in April of 1978. Uh, we are so well organized. This is great. I'm really excited to talk about this show. This has been one of my favorites for a long time. And there's some great video from this show too. So if you're curious to know, you know, what these guys looked like at this time when they were playing in 1978, uh, you can go check that out. But I'll also say part of the reason why we're talking about it is not just because it's one of my favorite shows, but because we, as you may have noticed, we're doing a whole anniversary run. Uh, we talked about a show from 68. We talked about an anniversary show on WPN 30 from 73. Now we're going to be talking about one from 78 and we just talked about one from 93. So after that, all we'll have is one from 83 and one from 88 to discuss on their anniversaries. So I will note if there's some shows that you love from 1983 or 1988, please let us know. We'd love to talk about them. And we're looking for shows from those two years to talk about at some point this year um, as we hit this, this round number anniversary for both of those years, the 40th and the 35th respectively. Thank you for listening. Get in touch with us on Twitter at Working Man's Pod, on Instagram at Working Man's underscore pod. If you want to talk more or if you want to tell us that you remembered that wildly inconsequential Days Between story from a year ago when I noted that 3-9 performance of Sugar Mags. Or if you were there at any of these shows, let us know. Especially then. Yeah, definitely give us a shout. All right. Well, on that note, everyone, we will bid you good night.